But uh, my goal, of course, is to find disease when, uh, when it's early and when we can save the person's life. And, and we've now done that on several occasions. And, and, uh, and we believe it's a revolutionary way to practice medicine. Welcome to the Let's Start Health podcast. I'm your host, Chelsea Haynes. We live in a noisy world, and this space is intended to bring you clarity, enrich your bank of wellness knowledge, and inspire you to kickstart your journey to healing body, mind, and soul. I'll be interviewing industry professionals and bringing you raw, real, and personal stories of healing through gut health, intuitive eating, and the power of the abundance mindset. Thank you so much for tuning in and getting curious. Your journey to healing starts now. Hello, and welcome back to Let's Start Health, a podcast willing to start the awkward, vulnerable, weird, or even hard conversations needed in order to break through stigmas of mental and physical health, as well as educate and inspire those on a journey to healing. I'm your host, Chelsea Haynes. I am so excited about today's guest, Dr. Mark Zook, who is the medical director at the Q Institute in downtown Miami. Dr. Mark is certified by the Canadian College of Family Physicians and moved to the United States from Canada back in 2001. You will hear his passion come through as we talk all about early disease detection, how it is done utilizing the best technology available, and of course, why early detection is important when it comes to saving lives. Dr. Mark has organically developed, acquired, and operated chains of imaging centers throughout Florida and Ohio for many years, and it has given him a truly unique ability to understand how advanced imaging can be successfully used for prevention. What I love most is that Dr. Mark deeply understands the importance of looking at a person from a holistic perspective, rather than focusing on different systems in the body as separate. He truly empowers and encourages his patients to focus on lifestyle and diet into their wellness plan and is diligently working to shift the paradigm from treatment of symptoms to early diagnosis in order to save lives and really encourage people to live their most optimal and abundant lives possible. His approach to health has resulted in multiple patients traveling to the United States from other countries around the world to obtain his medical care. Of course, as a health coach myself, I'm truly grateful for doctors such as Dr. Zook who are on the forefront of a shift in today's healthcare system. I know you will enjoy this episode, and if you're having that gut feeling that you or a loved one is in need of a lifestyle shift or change and might need help doing that, please contact me. You can go to chelseahainescoaching.com or you can send me a direct email at info at chelseahainescoaching.com. As always, thank you so much for paying it forward with a rating and review, which allows us to keep spreading the important news about today's health and wellness. I really hope you enjoy the show. I am so, so, so honored and excited to have you here today. So for my listeners here, uh, welcome to another episode of Let's Start Health. Today, I have a very special guest, 
Dr. Mark Zook, who is certified by the Canadian College of Family Physicians. He moved to the USA all the way from Canada <laughs> in 2001. And he is a medical director at the Q Institute. And I am so excited to dive into everything about the Q Institute, uh, what it's all about, what he does, and how he helps change people's lives. So Dr. Mark, I'd love just to hand the microphone on over to you. Please give us you know, a little introduction about yourself and what brought you to doing what you're doing today. Okay, well, great. Good morning. So um, I am a, uh, a doctor trained in Canada. Uh, in fact, I, uh, I spent the first 30 years of my life in Canada. Uh, my parents brought me there from the former Soviet Union in 1972. And um, I spent uh, all of my childhood there, including um, up to my early adulthood. Um, I went to, uh, studied at the University of Toronto and had a, um, got my bachelor's degree in, in science. And then I went on and, and went to medical school at the University of Toronto as well. Got my MD in 1996. And then uh, I spent two years doing a residency in family practice uh, in, in downtown Toronto. And um, um, shortly after, I started to practice um, in uh, suburban Toronto, and I did that for uh, a number of years. And um, uh, I had learned a lot about our uh, healthcare system in Canada at the time, which was um, fully government-funded, uh, kind of like Medicare for All uh, that's being proposed right now, but um, they're, actually, um, they're actually administered by each of the problems. Provinces. My province was Ontario, so it was administered by something called OHIP, or the Ontario Health Insurance Plan. Um, and I quickly realized that when, when patients were coming to see me in any of my settings, um, I wasn't able to get an immediate diagnosis because the tools were just not made available. And when I say tools, um, if someone came in with a pain, uh, a painful knee or limping and they needed to know what to do, um, unfortunately, I can diagnose them clinically, um, but really to get a good look at the knee, I mean, you need some advanced imaging. Um, the problem with the Canadian system, of course, is that because everyone, um, everyone is given access to healthcare, uh, they like to treat the people that have something more serious than pain in their knee first. So the uh, wait time for an MRI of the knee in Toronto uh, at the time was somewhere between nine and 12 months. Now, can you just imagine if a competitive skier shows up in the emergency room and he needs to compete all winter and you tell him he's basically out for the year because we can't get a diagnosis so we don't know if to operate or, 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 or what we need to do. Um, I also quickly learned that living in Toronto, uh, you're about an hour and a half away from the U.S. border. So, um, so one of my patients actually recommended to me that uh, he actually go and gets his MRI in Buffalo because he could have it tomorrow and just pay for it. So um, that gave me an indication that, that um, um, the system here in the U.S. Uh, obviously has, uh, provides a lot easier access to its citizens than, than, than Canada does. So um, I, I got into the habit of um, 
facilities across the border to diagnose my patients, whether it was to get a CAT scan because otherwise I would have to wait six months or to get an MRI because I was going to wait 12 months. Um, they could basically go have those tests the next day. So it was very intriguing to me, of course, and I love technology. I always have the latest uh, toy, latest iPhone, uh, latest computer, whatever it is. I always have the latest. Uh, well, that exists in healthcare as well. And, and um, I made a decision in 2001 uh, with um, um, the husband of one of my patients to uh, come to the U.S. and actually start a outpatient radiology business. Mm. So uh, we did that. Uh, we, we opened our first center um, approximately April of 2002. And that was in Aventura, Florida, kind of halfway between where me and you are. Um, and we put two pretty fancy technologies in. One was called PET, positron emission tomography, and the other uh, machine was called an MRI machine or a magnetic resonance imager. Both uh, advanced imaging tools we use in medicine today. So um, we started that center in 2002, and we, uh, we grew to five centers by uh, approximately 2009. Um, and then by 2013, uh, we actually grew to uh, 15 centers in Florida, and we were seeing 1,000 patients a day. Wow. Um, but as you can imagine, coming to work is, um, uh, wasn't always the brightest day, because when you have that technology, you see things. And I used to see women in their late 20s with breast cancer. I saw teenagers with lymphoma. Um, I saw young adults with esophageal cancer. I saw people that had 90% blockage in their coronary arteries. Uh, all these things. And, and uh, interestingly enough, I, I had learned that, that um, you know, um, I do have an impact on many patients. And this is a, a mechanism for me to practice population um, medicine. In 2013, approximately, we, we sold the business to, uh, to an investor actually out of Canada. And uh, I had stayed on for a while uh, to do some consulting, but decided that I wanted to use the technology to, to my advantage. Um, and rather than treat people with disease, I decided I want to find disease and see if we can catch it before the the person even comes to see the doctor or goes to the emergency room because they have a cough or they, because they have chest pain or because they have abdominal pain. So I basically developed the principles of, um, of, of the practice which I have today, which is the Q Institute. Um, we're a data-driven healthcare practice. Uh, we do not, we, our patients come into us healthy. Uh, they typically don't come with symptoms. Um, if they come with symptoms, then I try to help them navigate their way through the existing system. But uh, my goal, of course, is to find disease when, uh, when it's early and when we can save the person's life. And, and we've now done that on several occasions. And, and, uh, and we believe it's a revolutionary way to practice medicine. Uh, it's expensive because the technology is expensive. And unfortunately, our healthcare system is rigged in such a way that insurance only pays for treatment. They really don't pay for much diagnosis. 
And it's really the diagnosis that's the key. So um, here's where we are today. And, uh, and I, see, I see a vast array of patients from all over the world. We just had, um, we just had a, a parent here from Jamaica um, um, last week. Uh, this week we'll have um, a couple who's flying in from Monaco. Um, we have many Canadians. We have many South Americans that come to us and understand the mechanism of practice that we use. Um, and it's none other than an executive physical, except for uh, it's being done with technology rather than with a team of doctors. This is incredible. And thank you so much for such you know, a thorough explanation that you know, brought you to where you are today. And you know, the Q Institute, I'd love just to ask you, what does the Q stand for? I'm just genuinely so curious. That, that's a great question. <laughs> and and um, to, to keep the answer short, uh, the Q is uh, the capital letter at the beginning of the word question. Mm. And um, the reason why we love that is because our goal at the Q Institute is to answer your healthcare question. Mm. I just got chills. I'm so excited about this. You know, I, I am a health coach and a life coach. I have a degree in psychology and, you know, I walk in a world where helping people and, and really there's a lot of education around it too. So it's twofold. It's wanting to help people early, but then also educating as to why that is important. Correct. Correct. <laughs> so, you know, how are you finding, you know, when people are coming to you, you said most of the time they don't have symptoms. So what is the driving force typically for your patients when they are coming to you? Is it curiosity? It's because they heard about you or they're just, you know, really genuinely interested in learning more about what's going on in their body. What is typically you're finding the driving force for someone to walk into your doors? So, so currently because, because um, the testing is expensive, I typically get referred uh, through a community uh, of affluent clientele. Mm. Um, because uh, when it comes to the screening portion of my practice, which is not the only portion, but um, it's one of the departments and, and uh, it's expensive. It's in the range of thousands of dollars. So someone has to be prepared to spend, th to, to, to spend thousands of dollars when they come to me. Um, but my goal is to present their healthcare to them in data. Okay. And, and basically um, rather than, rather than um, strictly me getting a history and trying to figure out what the acute problem is, I look at the body as a whole, um, kind of you're probably hearing um, the expression functional or integrative medicine. Um, that's a very hot topic right now because um, the uh, current state of medicine and the future state of medicine are, are kind of in two different places. The early adopters of doctors are moving towards integrative medicine, which literally means we look at the body as an integrated whole and not as the cardiac, the cardiovascular system, the pulmonary system, the immune system. And, and we have specialists for each of those, and they only handle what they, uh, what they know in their wheelhouse, and the others handle the rest. Um, in our practice, we take an integrative approach, and we see that um, a lot of the problems uh, with health of individuals in America at this time is very lifestyle related. The diets we eat, the lack of uh, exercise uh, we get, 
um, the way we uh, sit and move around throughout the day, all of these things impact our health. And our goal at the Q Institute is to tell people where we can help them become healthier. Mm, I love this. It's all about optimization for me, you know, yeah. and, and that's, Mostly what I do is I help people with the lifestyle aspects. So it's so exciting to be able to talk to a doctor who's saying, listen, we can do this on all levels. You know, we can hit the lifestyle, but we're going to come at it from a data perspective. So I'd love to hear a little bit more about this data. So can you share with us a little bit about the information that you gather? You know, of course, besides actual diagnosis, which I would imagine if you're gathering information, you could get to that point as well. But what other information and data are you collecting and why might that comprehensive information be important? Okay, so great, great question. Um, I, I take my data and, and divide it into two parts. The first part is uh, imaging data, which is basically pictures using multiple types of technology. I had mentioned PET, uh, there's MRI, there's also CT, commu uh, computerized uh, tomography, which has been around for a while but is now very advanced. We also use ultrasound and echocardiography. Um, we use uh, low-dose x-ray for uh, checking bone density levels and body mass composition. So that's the imaging piece of the data, and then there's the blood work piece of the data. And the blood work is subcategorized into, into multiple uh, sets of data as well. Uh, for example, we get a complete profile of all of the levels of uh, hormones, vitamins, blood count, liver function, kidney function, some of which uh, you already get when you get to your doctor, except instead of checking 10 things, um, we would probably check um, 200 things, if that makes sense. Okay, so, um, so the other part of the data uh, that we collect in blood is we do micronutrient testing, uh, micronutrient testing is basically a test which indicates what our nutrient status is. And of course, nutrients exist in the form of vitamins and minerals. Um, we can check those levels and we can see what the body is deficient in. Okay, And it may be deficient for two reasons. One reason is we may not be consuming the nutrient, so we have to go out and get it. And the second reason might be because we're not absorbing the nutrient. So it might be getting into our intestinal system, but it's not crossing the wall uh, and it's coming right through us. So, so we'd like to know um, which levels of micronutrients we're deficient in because that becomes a lifestyle. Um, we, we have to incorporate foods. We have to incorporate supplements into our regimen that are going to allow us to get these nutrients that are essential for certain biological functions in our body to occur. Absolutely. This happened to me. So two years ago, I actually got, um, I went to a functional medicine doctor and I got more extensive tests done and I was taking magnesium and zinc, but I, when my blood test came back, I was like 100% deficient in them. I was not absorbing them. <laughs> and yeah, it really, it was really interesting to see that. And I was just, I was taking basically a type that my body wasn't able to absorb. So it was, you know, getting a different type that was more easily absorbed into my system. And then of course, also looking at the status of my gut microbiome and really making sure that I can optimize all of the absorption of the nutrients. Now, I always like to say, especially when it comes to health, it doesn't matter how healthy you eat or how much you exercise. If you're not 
optimized, if you're not operating at full functionality, right. you're not going to be able to absorb those nutrients anyway and eliminate toxins appropriately. You know, our body is really good at doing what it does, but if it's not working optimally, then it, it's going to have hiccups along the way. So, so next question is, you know, how, so when a patient comes to you, do you sort of just run the full gamut or, you know, you have options for different tests. Do people typically come to you and say, you know, I want to try food sensitivity tests or I want to do a blood panel or I want to do a screening and how do they know which one to do? Okay, great question. Um, unfortunately, at this time, it comes down to budget, okay, mm. because uh, this is all out of pocket. Uh, there's no insurance covering these type of testing. So I basically um, guide my patient based on their budget. Uh, obviously, when there is a uh, large budget, you can collect a whole lot of data, okay? Uh, if someone comes to me with a specific amount they can spend, um, then I'll, I'll, uh, choose the appropriate route for them to get the most information for the amount that they can spend. Like for example, some patients like uh, the ones that just uh, left last week, they want all of the data that I can collect and they have a budget that's been given to them by their corporation for healthcare expenditures and it was well within the budget. So I had free reign to collect all the data that I had. That, that, that I can possibly collect. On the other hand, I have patients that say, listen, why don't you at least screen just for the diseases that can kill me right now, okay? And there's three diseases in essence that can kill you. Cancer is one, okay? Heart attacks are another, and strokes are the third. Those are really the three top categories. Heart attacks and strokes are kind of together because they're both part of the cardiovascular system. Uh, and then there's a small percentage of diseases that are terminal, of course, that may not be cancer or, um, or strokes or heart attacks, but we uh, at least can determine the number one killers and if they exist at this time or not. So my recommendation would be for someone with a limited budget is, let's at least scan your whole body for cancer. Mm. Let's check your uh, coronary arteries to make sure there's no blockage and you're going to have a heart attack. And let's check the carotid arteries, which are the arteries carrying blood to your brain, and make sure there's no plaque there that may be able to cause a stroke. Mm. Now, some people can't, uh, unfortunately, can't even afford those tests. So uh, my goal is to at least tell them what they're, if I can't do any of the imaging due to budget, and let me just say that the test the, the screening test for a heart attack is $250. So that one's not in the thousands range, but it's a relatively easy one to do. And if you're a male over the age of 40 or a female over the age of 50, then that's one of the top things that's going to kill you. So for $250 and 10 minutes of your time, why not get that information? Absolutely. Uh, so to the extent that uh, we're limited on imaging, we then go to biochemistry, and as I mentioned, we do full hormone, vitamin, micronutrient panel. We also check for toxic metals. Um, toxic mm. metals, of course, um, are, are, are a problem. There's uh, lots of exposure to heavy metals, and we can check for that, and we can then remove the cause of the exposure and optimize someone's health. Um, I just had a patient who, whose arsenic levels were off the chart. We couldn't figure out if it was his ex-wife trying to uh, 
execute him. Uh, or he had a contaminated water supply in a building that he lives in, which is 70 years old. Uh, and it turns out um, that it was the water supply. So he had to start drinking filtered water, um, believe it or not. So uh, toxic metals, there are some, there are some tumor markers that we can check for. Uh, so um, obviously it will never replace imaging, but the most common test for males is the PSA test or the prostate specific antigen. Uh, that's a great screen because there's a good, um, there's a good history of data that shows if your PSA level is over four, then you should probably investigate further and ensure that you don't have prostate cancer. So uh, not a bad test. However, what I have found out in the recent years is that uh, 15% of men uh, with prostate cancer will have a normal PSA. Wow. So the doctor might be sending them home saying everything's good, but something might be lurking. And really the only way to see the prostate, the whole prostate, um, is to get an MRI because it can see the prostate at two millimeters of resolution. So right. it's nothing better than that. Right. Um, and, then of course, um, and then of course, we spoke about micronutrient testing, uh, dietary antigen testing, uh, great one to talk about because, um, you know, if you're a gut health expert, you'll know that when you eat food, you're, you're consuming a foreign substance into your body. So your body will mount an immune response. No matter what, it will mount an immune response. Now, what we do know is that certain foods will cause a greater immune response than other foods. And everyone is different. Mm -hmm. And the only way to know what foods are causing your immune system to act up is by doing a dietary antigen test or a food sensitivity test. And uh, the reason why it's important is, is because uh, some of the inflammation which goes on as part of the immune response doesn't even provide symptoms. So we don't even know that it's happening inside our body. Meanwhile, we do know that inflammation is the root of all disease. And if we constantly consume things that are going to create inflammation, well, then over time, you need to expect that something's going to go wrong. Yeah. So, so um, uh, I love the dietary antigen test. We look for about 147 different uh, food types, every type of meat, every type of nut, vegetable, fruit, anything that you can possibly think of that you can consume. And I'll be able to tell you if you are mounting a immune response to that food. I absolutely love that. And it's amazing too, because I have seen many, many times that even patients who are having immune responses already, once they eliminate that food, then they take some time to nurture and heal their gut and their intestinal lining. Maybe they've suffered from leaky gut for a long time. Once we get down to the root of why they're having that response, I've actually seen people be able to reintroduce foods and have no response anymore whatsoever. So, but they would have never known that had they not done the testing in the first place and seen, wow, like broccoli's causing inflammation in my body. You know, there's, there's something causing it at the root of it, but to have that information is so important. So that brings me to my next question. Once a patient has all this information, and I'm sure right. some of it is quite scary, you know, I'm sure for some patients they come back and it's actually, yeah, you do have a lot of plaque in your arteries. You do have, you know, signs of inflammation from food. You do have potential cancer or tumor signs in your body. What happens then? Uh, what happens then is um, I write a list of recommendations. Right. <laughs> okay. and, and, and my recommendations may be ones that we don't 
need uh, another professional to get involved um, because we can handle it between ourselves. But some things, obviously, I'm going to defer to the expert. Like, for example, when I find patients with blockage in their coronary arteries, um, I, I know the next step to take. And what that is, what that means to me is I'm going to send you to the expert that I know who's best suited to help you with that problem. I've basically done my job, which is I have, um, I have identified the problem. And now I'm going to help you or empower you to overcome the problem. And I'm going to engage my network of expertise. Why wouldn't that be that? Amazing. Yeah, that's amazing. I, I mean, and it really, it, it makes me so happy to hear that too, because I see so many people so often just let ego get in the way or they think they can just solve all the world's problems. And it, it doesn't have to be like that. I mean, we have a network and a knowledge out there that is endless. Absolutely. So that's amazing. You know, you mentioned that cost is, of course, a factor, and it is quite high, and it's all self-pay at the moment. I wanted to ask you, do you, where do you see the future of that going? You know, as far as insurance or you know, cost coming down, or maybe you mentioned a company paying for someone scans. That sounds amazing, but you know, do you see a shift at all culturally, or where do you think this might go? I do, I do, I do, and it's going to take individuals with the actual data to get in front of the Blue Crosses of the world and the Aetnas of the world who are paying for everyone's healthcare before Medicare, of course. And I do believe there's a place for this at the level of Medicare. We can talk about that after. But in the meantime, um, you know, I, I, if I was put in front of a Blue Cross executive and I would say, listen, um, if you're going to, if you're going to take the risk of someone by having them pay you a premium and you cover their um, and you cover the liability or their exposure to healthcare problems that are going to cost you money, wouldn't you want to make an investment and get all of the data first? You know, because you're giving a car to someone. Okay, let's assume you're insuring a 55-year-old. You may be very well giving a card, uh, your insurance card, to someone who. Forget the pre-existing conditions. They have pre-existing conditions. They've just never been documented. And you could very well be giving a card to someone that has cancer at the moment that you gave them the card. You could very well be giving a card to someone who's going to have a heart attack in the next two years, but you wouldn't know that because you have no data. And what's interesting to me is, why are we not treating our health like we treat our money? How many people invest in a stock on Wall Street without getting the annual report for the company and looking at their financials and figuring out who's on the board and who's the CEO and what does that CEO do on the weekends? And they do all that due diligence. Why? How come, how come to invest in ourselves, we do zero due diligence? Why is that? I know, Mark, I, I think about this all the time. And, you know, even down to the individual, right? It's, and the way we do one thing is the way we do everything, except for when it comes to health and money. Right? <laughs> I think maybe it's because health is one of those things that maybe typically is fear-based. We don't necessarily want to know. I know generationally, I also see this changing, but, you know, my parents and grandparents, they were petrified of the doctor. They didn't want the information. Right. They would rather just live their lives ignorantly, blissfully, until all of a sudden, you know, you, they get a diagnosis and three months later they're gone, which then we are all 
extremely traumatized. <laughs> and of course, no one was prepared. They could have been because funerals cost a lot of money. Um, you know, a convalescent care costs a lot of money. If you see where Medicare dollars are being spent, they're being spent on someone's last year or six months of life when they're already dying and we're just prolonging the, uh, we're prolonging the event by, by, uh, by, by caring for them and we're tying up all of the Medicare dollars when we could be spending it on healthy people and keeping them healthy so that they don't get to that stage. I know. I, we are very much on the same level with this. And Great. it's exciting to see people who are on the forefront. And, you know, it's again, I think a lot of it comes down to education. And I think that's where we're at right now in society is, is people like us putting, putting our best foot forward, trying to share, trying to inspire and trying to educate and motivate people to get out there and say, listen, why wouldn't you want to live your best life? You know, and that kind of brings me to a, a, one of my, I'm very looking forward to asking you this question. Let's talk about some stories and testimonies of patients that have come in that you've been able to diagnose early or find something that has saved or altered their life that has given them many more happy, abundant years. Well, I can just tell you the first story that kind of got me uh, thinking, uh, which is um, you know, I was, I was operating this multi, multi-facility imaging uh, radiology company, and my aunt, my mom's middle sister who lives in Canada, um, had just been treated for uh, colon cancer in Canada. Uh, unfortunately, there was no, there was no um, protocol to surveil the cancer after it had been treated. And of course, we know that colon cancer recurs. Breast cancer recurs. And what does that mean? That means that at the time of the treatment, we didn't take care of the whole thing. There were cells somewhere else in the body that were developing, okay? So um, I decided to fit her into our system and say, hey, you know what? In, in America, people with a history of colon cancer will have surveillance. Um, so I recommended it, and it was approximately a year after she had the last procedure on her colon, uh, where she was told she's in remission, and she came to me um, for a surveillance PET scan, and guess what? I found a tumor in her breast. Wow. So the same machine, because I'm checking the full body, okay, identified that she had activity in her breast. I got on the phone with her immediately, and she says, what do you mean? I had a mammogram seven months ago. So uh, one thing, either, either the mammogram didn't show anything, which is unlikely because breast can all cancers are really slow moving. They're only fast moving at the time that we find them because they're so yeah. advanced, okay? Yeah. But they're typically slow growing. Um, I, doubt that she, I doubt that she didn't have the tumor seven months ago. Um, was it an oversight by a radiologist, perhaps? Uh, was it the best technology to use? I'm not sure. Currently, the standard of care is mammography. Well, if, if a mammography is only a test that can tell you where there's calcification and there might be a tumor, then why wouldn't you do a PET scan where it shows you where the metabolic activity is and we can find the tumor? So, uh, hey, we found her uh, stage one breast cancer. It was a lumpectomy. Uh, she had a little bit of radiation after, and she's living happily ever after. It's approximately 10 years later. Amazing. Oh, I just got goosebumps. Yeah. You know, I, I, 
it's, it's challenging for me. And I, I get a little choked up even just hearing these stories. My father-in-law in July, on July 23rd was diagnosed with stage four stomach cancer and he was gone on November 11th. And, you know, just, of course, being a gut health coach, I'm like, damn it. <laughs> mm-hmm. And, and it's amazing to me how, how so many people I truly feel are walking through life with undigested emotions, undigested traumas, undigested situations that they've experienced in their life. And I mean that literally and figuratively. And, you know, without information and without, I don't know, I I guess it's like without the desire to know more, it's not a matter of if you'll get sick, it is, it's when, it's when you will get sick. And, you know, I wanted to ask you, do you feel like, and do you often find that intuition or or that gut feeling plays a role you know when patients come to you do they ever say i don't know i just have this feeling that i need to get checked out yeah uh well i mean that's a great question because i have the feeling that everyone should get checked out um, right especially <laughs> when you get to a certain age because you know any way you slice it um as we get older disease will strike i mean that's what we've learned you know what i mean so so um uh, i do believe uh, I do believe that there is some level of intuition, and uh, I've often been able to look at someone and tell you that they have a big problem going on, and that's just because I've seen so many faces uh, in healthcare over the last almost 25 years since I've graduated. Um, I see what disease looks like on the outside, um, and I've often been able to uh, indicate that someone is probably on their last couple of years just by looking at them and and I actually have a few of those going on in my life right now Um, and oddly enough uh, they don't want to know and and what's unfortunate to me about that is um, you know the not knowing piece I think not wanting to know um, is is really a selfish maneuver okay because you're not on this earth by yourself you're surrounded by people that love you that care for you, and um, you owe it to them for them to know that, hey, you know what, if we only have a year to go, maybe we'll change our plan for the next year and spend some more quality time. Or, mm-hmm. in, in even a better event is, hey, we just found this thing. Why don't we get rid of it so that you're around in 10 years, okay? Because if we, if we don't find it, and it's going to take its course, then we're going to know in six or seven years from now that you have it, and there won't be, uh, there won't be a, a, an option for us to save you. That's so true. And I'm telling you, Mark, I have had the most emotionally driven and challenging conversations that I have had to have with the people that I love in my life for that exact reason. And, you know, this was even, my uncle had, had a heart, situation a couple years ago and after that it was you know this this is not an option for you anymore (laughs) I don't care what you want but this is what I'm telling you that I need so Mm -hmm. as much as that might sound selfish on me I love you and if you love me too I'm asking you please follow up with this and and luckily he has but it's true I, I really resonate with that yeah yeah. And uh, really, if, if you think of the timeline of your life, which is a, a relatively short time, um, there is that one day that comes when 
we don't have the technology to treat the cancer that you have on that day. But if we caught it the day before, there might have been a chance. You understand what I mean? So, so to me, uh, wanting to know, but not just wanting to know, wanting to know now or sooner rather than later, because the last thing you want to do is regret that you didn't check earlier. Exactly. That, that leads me to a, a question that just popped up too. Is, is it ever too soon to get checked? Like, would you, would you ever say to a, you know, someone in their early 20s, you know, maybe we don't need to do these tests? Or do you feel like across the board, just if you can, walk on in and let's do these tests? <laughs> if I would love to, but, you know, all factors considered, um, if you want to bet uh, on the positive predictive value, which is the, the, the chance of finding something because you're scanning, then you'd bet on the older person, right? Mm -hmm. So uh, I really like people to get started approximately uh, with the imaging part at approximately 40 yeah. um, because, you know, although the, the peak age of death doesn't occur in their 40s, there are people who lose their lives early we, we all hear about them because I, I can think of, uh, in my lifetime, I can think of at least five or six people that are not here today um, and they lost their life in their 40s and it probably could have been prevented. So I typically start in the 40s. Uh, if there is any compelling reason due to a strong family history in someone's life of terminal disease at a young age, then I'll probably push it back uh, to... Um, just to in your 30s or your 20s, um, you know, I, I, I would like to say in an idealistic world, we would do it on everyone only because, I hate to say this, but I've been watching St. Jude um, charity um, on TV for the last five years. And I mean, that stuff really pulls on my heartstrings. And the idea that um, geez, could we have found the childhood cancer before it was too late, um, you know, we, implementing the protocol of my practice? I mean, the answer is yes. You know what I mean? And there's nothing worse for me to see in healthcare than a dying child. I mean, it's just mm. the most horrendous thing for me to see. So to the, to, the, um, to the extent that I can make an impact on that population at some time in the future, um, I would like to do that because it's going to be hard selling a $10,000 full body scan uh, on a child that's absolutely healthy. You know, back to, back to what we were saying, I really think uh, 40 is the age to begin. Um, I also like to say that because the evaluation with imaging is so comprehensive, uh, there's oftentimes that you don't need it because uh, disease doesn't progress that quickly, right. you know what I mean? So, right. so if someone gets a clean bill, let's just take the Medicare uh, age, for example. If I do a full uh, review of someone who's 65 years old uh, and I've given them a clean bill of health, no cancer, uh, I would probably recommend follow-up somewhere in the range of three to five years. Mm -hmm. And I'll explain to you why. The reason why I choose that interval is because current technology sees disease at approximately two to four millimeters of resolution. That's very small, very small. So uh, 
assuming that the person has a tumor which is less than two millimeters in size at the time we scan them, then the likelihood is that at the three-year interval, I'll probably pick that up and I'll still have time to save their life. That's amazing. Yeah. It's amazing. I love it. And it, it brings me to the thought too. So, I mean, I see, especially in the work that I do, I have so many of my clients come to me with symptoms of autoimmune disease. I mean, it's just on the rise, on the rise. And that, you know, there's so many reasons why that could be, we don't need to get into that, but I'm curious for someone who maybe is in their mid twenties and says, Hey, you know, I've, I've been on immunosuppressants for 10 years because I have arthritis, you know, for something, for someone like that, but maybe they don't have the huge buzz, budget for a scan. Is that where you, you, you could direct them to the blood test and say, all right, well, let's look at your inflammatory markers. Maybe let's look at the food sensitivities and exactly. see where we can exactly. adjust here. Exactly. exactly. And, and uh, funny enough, you'll find that a lot of people with, um, you know, what they call chronic uh, disease like r rheumatoid arthritis, a big, a big one right now is fibromyalgia. Yeah. Um, hey, We've been able to eliminate foods from people's diet and reduce the symptoms that those disease causes. Amazing. That is so amazing. I mean, I, I was diagnosed with psoriasis in high school, and I've been very grateful that I've been able to manage it with diet and lifestyle, and I've trusted my intuition, and I, of course, have gotten further blood tests, and I've done elimination diets, so I feel like I, I'm on top of the game, but many people just don't even know where to start, so that leads me to, you know, where can people find you? If they're hearing this, where can they go to find you, and also, are you, I know you're in Miami, are you strictly in Miami, or can you do, can you do blood tests for patients outside of the state? I can, I can. The good thing is, is, is uh, you know, I'm licensed uh, in Florida, uh, but to get a diagnosis, you can always get a diagnosis uh, uh, on, on someone anywhere. And, and uh, you know, that's part of the fact that I'm an MD and, and uh, I took an oath. And if I can help someone by enabling them with a the blood test, uh, then you got to make sure I'm going to do that. Most of my patients are in Miami. Um, I have patients that come to me from California, Texas. Uh, New Jersey, New York, Canada, uh, Costa Rica, Panama. I had Monaco, like I had mentioned. Mm -hmm. I've had Ukraine, Russia. I've had two guys recently from the UK. Um, so um, the good thing is, is with technology um, and, and understanding how the technology works, I hate to say this because I'm a traditional allopathic doctor trained in a modern Western medicine um, medical school, the University of Toronto, where uh, we're taught to lay our hands on a patient and try to figure out the problem. There's no hands on earth that belong to a human that can see their anatomy and physiology with two millimeters of resolution. Let me just <laughs> be clear to anyone who's going to argue with me about that one, okay? Um, I can give you a perfect example, and, and it's, a, it's, it's a funny one, and it probably strikes a chord with guys, but um, why, would you, why would you go to your doctor to get your prostate checked the you-know-which way when the doctor can only feel the outer rim of the back of the prostate, and there's a machine down the street that can scan the whole gland at two millimeters of resolution? Why are we still? Why are we still allowing doctors to put a finger up our butt? I don't know. I don't know. Maybe some people prefer that, but we'll let that. We'll leave, <laughs> we'll leave it for them. 
Oh, this is amazing, Mark. This has been such an enlightening conversation and I'm, I'm really excited. So where can our listeners find you? Right now, the best thing to do is you jump on our website. You learn a little bit about what we do from our website and just fill out a contact form. And someone from our office will, will reach out and, and uh, you know, gather the information and see what the next step is. Amazing. Amazing. And we'll link that in the show notes. It's the qinstitute.com. And you know, I, I'm just so excited about the work that you're doing. And, and you know, I hope to be able to yeah, save more lives with this kind of technology and this data, truly, and, and live fulfilled lives, too. I think that's a lot what it's about. You know, a lot of people, I feel, are just walking through life in mediocrity. And it doesn't have to be that way. It doesn't yes. have to be that way. So I'd like to always end these conversations with one last final question, Dr. Mark, and I would love to ask you, what does the term optimal health mean to you? That's a great question too. Uh, optimal health um, uh, has various uh, understandings. In my mind, of course, based on the technology that we have and the data that we can collect, what I like to think of optimal health is why don't we allow our body to function at its optimal state? And that means no disease, maximal nutrition, maximal exposure to movement and exercise, and an open mind to accept all of the positive energy that's available for us every day. Absolutely. I couldn't agree with that anymore. It's definitely holistic and mindset is, is you know, it's mind, body, and spirit, 100%. Well, thank you so much for your time today. You. And, you know, I, I really, really, really appreciate you. Yeah, I appreciate you too. Thank you. I wanted to take a quick moment to give you, my community of listeners, some genuine appreciation. I know how valuable and precious our time is in today's world of productivity, and I couldn't be more grateful for yours today. If you feel that this episode was of value to you, I would be even more grateful if you were to share it with your people. Go ahead and copy and paste that link into messages, or if you're feeling really creative, pop a screenshot of the episode into your Instagram stories and send it on over to that person in your life who might need this boost of inspiration today. Don't forget to tag the podcast handle Let's Start Health and my personal account, The Yogi Yachty, so we can have all the fun connecting, building community, and sharing all the things. Thank you again, and remember, be curious and unwavering on this journey to health.